0: Hello podcast listeners, hope you're enjoying your day as much as I am currently enjoying it right now. There has been a lot of news recently with what's been going on in the market. For instance, one thing we'll be talking about today is how Procter & Gamble released their earnings and how they believe that there's going to be potential headwinds in the future for this company. The other thing we're going to be talking about a little bit today is how Mastin, they are filing for bankruptcy. We're going to be talking about how mortgage rates have fallen sharply after a negative GDP report from the Fed. And then we got some news to talk about from oil, all from Exxon Mobil to Chevron's earnings report and what's happening in Germany right now with the gas situation. And it's funny how this, how we're going to report some of this on a day where yesterday the market actually went up, even though there was a negative, negative signs that we're currently in a recession in the economy right now, at least in the stock market. With that being said, guys, before we begin today's podcast, I have to remind you all that I am not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before making any investment decisions in any company that you decide to invest in. I do have a small position in Exxon, Procter & Gamble, and Chevron. They're very small positions, but I do have to mention that I do have small small, and long positions for them, because I believe these companies will be value, more valuable over time. And this isn't financial advice in any way, shape, or form. This is all for information purposes only. Please do your own research before investing in any company, as you're not guaranteed to make money in the stock market when you invest. I also ask that you go please talk to your professional advisor before making any investment decisions, as they would know your financial situation a lot better than I would. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. Higher prices help Procter & Gamble offset commodity costs, but Tidemaker warns of more challenges. Procter & Gamble on Friday reported mixed quarterly results as its consumer products gained raised rising commodity costs and warned it expects such headwinds to persist in the fiscal 2023. The Cincinnati-based maker of products including Pampers, Panty, and Tide said higher price during this fiscal fourth quarter offset a slip in sales volume, which attributed primarily to COVID pandemic-related lockdowns in China and reduced operations in Russia. Shares of the company closed down about 6%. Here's what the company reported compared to with, what, with what Wall Street was expecting based on survey of analysis by Refinitiv. Earnings per share was $1.21 adjusted versus $1.22 expected. Revenue was $19.52 billion versus $19.4 billion expected. Okay. Goes on to say for the three months ended June 30th, P&G reported net income of $3.5 billion, no, correction, $300. 3.05 billion or $1.21 per share in the year ago period. It posted net income of 2.91 billion or $1.13 per share. Net sales rose 3% from a year ago, driven by organic sales growth of 9% in both the healthcare and fabric and home care units, where higher pricing made up for flat and negative volumes, respectively. During a media call, PNG Chief Financial Officer Andrea Schulten Sh- attributed the flat and negative volume of re- production of business in Russia, and he said, was confident that the consumer is holding up well as the company raised prices. Still, executives addressing pricing concerns from retailers during the earnings conference call, Schulten said P&G discussion with Walmart remained productive, and that the company's interests are aligned in addressing inflation. He said P&G remains committed to protecting a strategy of offering multiple price points for consumers, especially for products such as diapers. For fiscal 2023, P&G expects earnings per share to be flat up to 4%. It projects headwinds of $3.3 billion due to foreign exchange rate, higher commodity costs, and higher freight cost. The company expects sales for the year to be flat up 2% from a year ago. Organic sales, which strip out the impact of foreign exchange rates, is expected to be 3% to 5% driven by pricing. We're not going to go into full details a little bit more in the earnings call because we can actually could look into it right now, but it seems like Procter & Gamble, at least for the time being... I mean, Procter & Gamble, people are still going to be able to need to do their laundry. If you're having kids, you're probably going to still need diapers. And obviously, you're going to need dish soap as well. Now, could people go for the cheaper brands? Probably. But at the same token, it just seems like P&G will weather this storm like they always do. Because it's a product and service that people technically still need. Just... Just be honest here. I mean, if it's down six percent, it seems like a decent buying opportunity to get into the stock. But at the same token, maybe you are a little worried about those headwinds in the making. I personally believe that PNG will just continue to do what it does: sells products and services that people are going to need in the long run. But I thought I'd mention it because it did drop six percent, like it said on Friday, and it was just something of interest to look at at this time being. So, but speaking of things that are dropping, or at least not as needed as much we got a report on this too. And this is in the space sector. Investing in space from CNBC. Space company Mastin files for bankruptcy after struggle with NASA moon contract. Lunar focus company Mastin Space Systems filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection on Thursday. With the venture windowed down to a handful of people after layoffs and furloughs. The space company declared as its debts ballooned, tracing back to a NASA contract awarded to Mason two years ago. Once seen as a major win for the small business, the NASA deal left Masten over budget as well as unable to raise funds or pay employees. Masten predates many of its companies that came up during the past decade boom of private investment in the space sector. The company long had reputation in the industry as a gritty shop for young engineers to cut their teeth on rocket and spacecraft technology at facilities in the Mojave Desert near NASA Armstrong Center and Edwards Air Force Base. While Mastin has a historically demonstrating impressive hardware, the company's bankruptcy shows that the dedicated balance act required for a long-term growth and success is harsh. Capital-intensive space industry. Raising money for high-risk space projects is difficult, and achieving them even more so. Founded in 2004, Mastin regularly won small contracts and prizes to test and develop reusable spacecraft that could take off and land, especially for the surface of the moon. The company has unofficial model shut up and fly. Masten had won a number of NASA contracts, but was notable that the 75 million award in 2020 to deliver eight scientific payrolls on a mission to the Moon South Pole. At the end of the award, Masten had about 15 people on staff. The NASA contract, which was going to be Masten Mission Number One, or MMI, it would fly significant payroll to on the company. Uh, on the XELENE lunar lander scheduled for 2023. Masten signed a contract with Elon Musk SpaceX to launch MM1. People familiar with the matter, speaking anonymously due to the sensitive nature of the matter, told CNBC that Masten began quickly scaling up to build the lander. But the award was immediately problematic for Masten, as it had written the proposal to NASA before the COVID pandemic struck. The company ne- needed to immediately adjust assumptions about the technologies. Would be developed in-house as opposed to purchase. The vendors were unwilling to make commitments due to uncertainty around the new pandemic environment, according to people familiar with the matter. To avoid going over budget, Mass needed to augment the NASA contract with additional payloads on the mission, on the missions to hit even aggressive cost estimates, but the total MM1 budget still ended up exceeding cost expectations. As development continued, Mass anticipated the mission would be anywhere from 10 million to 30 million over budget, these people said. Okay. It's kind of sad that this is happening to a company like this, but they are right in one regard. There are a lot of companies that are coming out right now that are focusing on the space side of things currently right now. Obviously, you have the leaders like Boeing and Tesla up there. Then you have smaller companies like, I mean, Virgin Galactic. I don't think Virgin Galactic is that little, but they they're, they are competing for that stuff. Blue Origins is another and then there's another company. Actually, It's actually a company I have personally invested in. And note, I have a small, very small position and, and there's no guarantee of this company being successful. But there's another company called HyperScience Inc., which is trying to also deliver payloads into space as well. But they also have more than just payloads. They also have things like geothermal energy that they're trying to use. And also they, they're competing with Tesla's, I think, boring company of a drilling company, if I'm not mistaken. But they have some technology that makes their drill bit better than Tesla, I guess, in the way. But it seems like anything that's going into space, we have to be careful across the board about looking into investing these companies. Because at least like for me, one of the reasons what attracted me to invest in HyperScience Inc. was the fact that, oh, they're doing geothermal stuff too, which I thought was pretty cool at the time. And its diverse portfolio made me more willing to put money into it. I don't think Maston's going to be able to survive much longer. I also personally believe too, Maston's going to be able to pretty much get bought out and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Tesla is the one that ends up buying the company out in the end. It would be interesting to see if those two actually did merge. Last thing we'll read about is in early 2021, Mastin board and senior management began an effort to raise up to $60 million in outside capital. The company previously had raised little else than small sums from angel investors, but the effort never found a lead investor and Mastin remained on a knife edge. The company operated in survival mode for most of its existence, living contract to contract and reinvesting any profits into the business the new uh, paradigm adding a new level of pressure. Yeah, companies like these always have to be careful. I mean, there's no guarantee to making money, but at the same token, I mean, startups are fun to invest in sometimes, but you got to make sure you're looking at the right ones. But like I said, maybe Tesla is going to be the one who ends up buying at the end, or maybe one of some other major space company will. I mean, you could have Amazon's Blue Origins who would be probably willing to take it up or maybe even, like I said, I've mentioned Tesla, or maybe even Boeing, or maybe just some other space company that we're not even thinking about. Payloads might be the future in the making, at least in my opinion, because sometimes it'd be cheaper to shoot a payload into space than to have to shoot an entire rocket. But Masten is on the right track. It's just sad and disappointing that this is how it's going to end in the making. Been around since 2004, and now it's filing for chapter 11 bankruptcy. So good. Let's see, it's 2022. 18 years to be around living contract by contract so hopefully they find their footing soon but just thought i'd report on this because i i wouldn't be surprised if there becomes more companies soon that are launching payloads into space as well to take over because that's where probably things are going to be heading to in the future because nasa is not going to want to have to always launch a rocket into space to send supplies so should be interesting Onto the real estate side of things, mortgage rates fall sharply after negative GDP report and Fed latest hike. Okay, from CNBC, just one day after the Federal Reserve raised its benchmark rate, mortgage rates took a sharp turn lower. The average rate in the popular 30-year mixed mortgage fell to 5.22% on Thursday from 5.54% on Wednesday, when the Fed announced its latest rate hike, according to Mortgage News Daily. The rate fell even further Friday to 5.13%. Rates haven't moved much in the days leading up to the Fed meeting earlier this week but they have been slowly coming off the most recent high in mid-June when the 30-year fix briefly crossed 6%. The drop Thursday also came on the heels of the Bureau of Economic Analysis Gross Domestic Product Reports, which showed the U.S. economy contracted for the second straight quarter. That is widely accepted signal of recession. GDP fell 0.9% in the annualized pace for the period, according to advanced estimate. Economists polled by Dow Jones has expected growth of 0.3%. After the news, investors rushed to the relative safety of the bond market, causing yields to fall. Mortgage rates loosely follow the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond. This is exceptionally, this is an exceptionally fast drop," wrote Matthew Graham, CEO of Mortgage News Daily. Perhaps even more interesting and uncommon is the fact that mortgage rates have dropped faster than U.S. Treasury yields. It's typically the other way around, as investors flock first to the most basic, risk-free bonds. Graham said the big picture shift in rates. Over the past month, have created a situation where investors greatly prefer to be holding mortgage debt with lower rates, quote, in a way mortgage investors are trying to get ahead of the game. If they're holding mortgages at a higher rate, they will lose money if those loans refinance too quickly, he added. The question now is whether the market is a new range and rates will settle where they are. If rates were reversed coarsely, volatility could be just be going in the other direction, Graham warned. He also noted that mortgage rates could move even lower and economic data continues to be gloomy about inflation moderates. Already, lower rates appear to be having a slight impact on potential home buyers. Real estate brokers Redfin just reported seeing a slight uptick in searches and home tours in the past month as rates came off their recent highs. Quote, the housing market seems to be settling into equilibrium now. That demand has leveled off. Redfin's chief economicist, Daryl Fairweather, said in a release, we may still be in for some surprises when it comes to inflation and rate hikes from the Fed. But for now, an ease in mortgage rates has brought some relief to buyers who are reeling from last month's rate spike. The increase in buyer interest, however, has not translated into new contracts nor sales. The supply for home sales is increasing slowly, but there are reports of more sellers dropping their asking prices. I can't speak much about the mortgage market because I am still trying to learn it as best I can. And I, I believe in time as I study this more and talk about it, I'll be able to understand things a little bit more. But from what I have read in the past, we know that millennials are not being able to buy homes right now, can't afford it across the board. We know real estate companies are having to lay people off too. We also know the interest rates are going up. So there's a chance that the lenders are not going to be able to give out as much money to lend to people. Potentially, at least in my opinion, there, there might. And I say this hesitantly, there there might or there could be some housing crashes happening. I had mentioned this in a past podcast, but I was talking to a friend and they said that in Utah, housing prices had skyrocketed like crazy and that it was just unsustainable. And that's just in Utah. Different places in the country might be feeling things differently, or maybe other places in the country, they're not really feeling the housing increases as much. But it's still interesting to see how things are looking in the housing market. I mean, I'm not expecting a 2008 crash again in the housing market. I mean, that would mean a lot of things fell through the cracks that people were willing to overlook, but it's still, I mean, we're just gonna report this right now and we'll just leave it as is currently. Cause like I said, don't know much about the housing market, need to study more into the housing market, but just thought I'd report that mortgage rates are falling. So, I mean, we're just gonna report this obviously. On to the next article, and it has to do with oil. And we've been talking a lot about oil on this channel because, or on this podcast in general, because oil is kind of a big deal. I still believe oil is the lifeblood of any economy in the making, but that's also for you to make the decision on as well. Okay. From CNBC, Chevron and Exxon post record quarterly profits as commodity prices boom. Okay. Okay. Exxon and Chevron posted record profits during the second quarter of 2022 as high commodity prices boosted operations as the oil giants kept spending in check. Chevron reported earnings of $11.62 billion during the three-month period, up from $3.08 billion during the second quarter of 2021. Meanwhile, uh, Exxon, meanwhile, posted second quarter earnings of $17.9 billion compared to $4.7 billion during the year earlier period. Chevron shares gained 8% during the morning trading on Wall Street, with Exxon advancing 4%. Chevron's results beat analysis estimates on both the top and bottom lines. Chevron earned $5.82 per share, excluding items of $68.76 billion in revenue. Analysis were expecting the company to earn $5.10 per share or $59.29 billion in revenue, according to estimates compiled by Refinitiv. Exxon beat estimates earnings $4.14 per share, excluding items versus the $3.74 per share expected, according to estimates from Refinitiv. But the company's revenue of 115 dollars billion missed the $132.7 analysis we're expecting. The earnings come as energy stocks have faltered in recent months. Recession fears and what what that means for oil, petroleum products demand have weighed on the group. The energy sector hit a multi-year high in June, but it's down 18% since then. Still, energy stocks are far the top performing group this year, advancing 35%. Utilities is the second best performing sector with just a 2.4% gain. Energy stocks ascend flows in surge in oil and gas prices, which have jumped as Europe looks to move away from Russian fuel. The company's record quarter is likely to draw further ire from Washington. President Joe Biden has called of companies to raise output, saying they're keeping prices elevated as expensive consumers. Surging energy costs have been a key contributor to decade-high inflation. For their part, oil companies say they are raising output. They also note they're dealing with some macro issues, such as labor playing out across the economy. Quote, we more than doubled investment compared to last year to grow both traditional and in new energy business lines." Chevron CEO Mike Wirth said in a statement. The company output in the premium basin rose 15% year over year for its US operations. The average sale price per barrel of oil was $89 during the second quarter, up from 54 during the same period last year. The average selling price for natural gas surged $6.22 per thousand cubic feet, up $2.16. During the year earlier period, the oil giant also increased guidance for its buyback program, lifting the top end range to 15 billion. "Quote earnings and cash flow benefit increased production, higher realizations, and tightening cost control." Darren Woods, chairman CEO at Exxon, said in a statement. "Quote a strong second quarter results reflect our focus on our fundamentals and the investment we put into motion several years ago and sustained through the depths of the pandemic." He added. Exxon says it. A- Its oil equivalent production stood at 3.7 million barrels per day in the second quarter, a 4% increase from last quarter. Okay, something I have to point out right now, and I do believe it's going to be called out again by our lovely President Joe Biden. He's going to be saying, look, oil companies are greedy. They're causing prices to be increasing. Okay, fine. We can say that. And and you're, you're free to say that Joe Biden, but what I also want to know too, is because we've talked about this in past podcasts, President Joe Biden is not allowing these oil companies to drill. At least last time we reported, maybe we need to look more into depths in this when we talk about oil in the future. The President Joe Biden is not allowing drilling in the Gulf of Mexico, off the go- off the west coast, off the east coast, not off the coast of Alaska either. Okay. So when President Joe Biden talks next time and he says, well, oil companies are not allowed to drill, we know, at least we've reported on this podcast that he's not allowing them to. We also know that Chevron's CEO had mentioned in the past that they wouldn't probably never make another oil refinery in the United States because there's no guaranteed of them making money to make that refinery. Okay. Policies that are being put into Washington are causing these oil companies now to make the most money, it seems like, because they can't do as much. And of course, politicians will just blame big oil companies on everything because they hate big oil companies. I still believe a lot of politicians in general just have a lot of money invested in green energy companies. And that's why they're making a huge push for this green energy because they can make a ton of money. And like I said, this is just a theory if they actually do own stock in these quote unquote green energy companies. But oil is going to get more interesting, especially on the European side. And this is one reason why I think maybe there's maybe one, maybe two more quarters, or maybe it lasts a little bit longer under a Joe Biden presidency. But there's a chance that there's going to be even more demand for oil now, okay? Because there's this is being reported right now in Europe, and granted, this is just a small sample size. But how much longer till it grows, okay? And the European news from CNBC: cold showers and more. German city turns off the hot water to survive Putin gas cut, okay. The German city of Hanover has cut off hot water in public buildings, swimming pools, sports halls, and gyms as Russia reductions in gas supplies fuel fears for winter energy crisis. The city, which uh, the city will also switch off public fountains and stop lighting up large buildings at night. As the city aims to reduce its energy consumption by 15%, according to a tweet from Hanover mayor Bellet on quote, this is a reaction to the impending gas shortage, which possesses a major challenge for the." Multi-multi uh, uh, policies, especially at large cities like Hanover. Continuing on with the article, the city will reduce the times when heating is on municipal um, mis- mis- buildings between October and March, excluding daycare centers. Convert all lamps to LED. Ban mobile air conditioners, fan heaters, or radiators, and install motion detectors in place of permanent lighting in public toilets, bicycle sheds, corridors, and parking lots. Russian gas giant Gazprom announced Monday that it was halting another turbine in the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Germany for maintenance purposes. That further cut means gas flows, which are already operating at just 40% of the capacity, just uh, fell to just 20% promoting incredulity in Europe. German economic minister Robert Habeck called the maintenance justification, a farce. The EU leaders have accused the Kremlin of using state-owned Gazprom as a weapon to retaliation for Western sanctions over Russia's war in Ukraine. Cities around Germany, which is heavily reliant on Russian gas, have introduced similar measures, including Munich, Leipzig, Lesbe- uh, Cologne, and Nuremberg. Neumen- Nuremberg has closed three of its four public indoor swimming pools, while indoor lidos will remain open until September 25th. Last thing I want to be able to talk about today. And it's something I had read before starting this podcast today. It was announced a few weeks back that Germany was going to stop importing coal from Russia starting August 1st, which is this coming Monday, okay? Germany is going to be in a huge crunch soon for energy, okay? Oil companies are going to be making potentially a ton of money. But how much longer until coal companies start making more money too? Or how much longer until the people realize we need energy? Because it could be a cold winter. I mean, it's already technically a hot summer right now at least in parts of the United States and I believe parts of Europe. And now there's potentially a cold winter coming, or maybe it's, it doesn't become a cold winter. Maybe the Europeans get lucky and it's not as cold, but something a lot of people have to be willing to ask themselves soon is, are they willing to give up luxury first world energy for potential misery? Cause October to March is a long time before things get warm again. And and to be fair, I, I remember when I was going to school in Idaho, I remember I hated October. I absolutely hated October with a passion because I knew that once October hit, that snowfall was coming. And sure enough, as soon as October 1st hit, it was just a matter of time. And it used to always get cold. Same with when I used to live in Chicago. It used to be the same thing too. Once October got here, I'd be like, how long until it starts freezing and snowing? I can only imagine what these people are going to be going through. And my personal opinion, gas is going to, oil companies are going to be still making a ton of money for the next few quarters because there's going to be a demand for oil, especially in Germany. Or maybe Germany just decides to make all its people work from home just to shut down all those buildings for the winter. But then what about the manufacturing side of things? Can't shut down manufacturing as much. Things are getting interesting across Europe. They need oil and gas. I mean, they've signed these deals with Azerbaijan and Israel, which is good. They're not talking about it. And starting Monday, they're not going to be accepting Russian coal anymore, which is fine. That's their choice in the end. Maybe, this needed, maybe the world just needs to realize that we just need more energy at the end of the day. So keep an eye out for that, guys. I think coal companies are next on the list to start making a ton of money, especially this coming winter months. None. I'm not currently investing in coal companies because I haven't really looked into it, but might start looking into it just to get an idea of how things are looking. So... But like I said, this isn't financial advice. This is just a podcast for information purposes only and for entertainment for those who are listening. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I have to ask you all that if you have enjoyed it, that you please like and subscribe to this podcast as every like and subscription that we get can help grow this podcast that we can be able to keep talking about the events that are happening on the market that Wall Street's not willing to talk about. I also ask too that... You share with friends or family this podcast as well as they might enjoy it as well and want to get the information out there to know what's happening because there's so many news articles that are happening and we try our best to cover everything that we think is necessary for people to understand. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.